You know those moments where you think, I wish I would have learned this in school? Those are the topics that we love to talk about. Join me each week as I interview experts sharing their strategies for solving problems that us young adults will face throughout our 20s and 30s. So what are you waiting for? And if you want new episodes about adulting advice every Monday, hit that follow button. I remember being on fire for the first few years of my career. I was learning so much and every day brought a novel problem to solve. Boredom wasn't even a thought. I didn't quite understand why people felt stale in their careers. And then things started to slow. What was once a unique problem to solve turned into an ongoing job responsibility. My job was filled with less learning and more work. Finding the balance between being comfortable in your role and stretching your limits is challenging. This can be especially challenging for those of us who find a lot of satisfaction and purpose from stimulated work. I don't want to be wishing it was Friday afternoon. I want to be excited for Monday. I want that same feeling of excitement from early in my career. But continuously cultivating that energy takes intentionality and some proper planning. Today's guest, Carla Fowler, will give you ideas on how you can re-energize your work. She'll share questions you can ask yourself if you're feeling bored, what the components of a good project to get you excited again are, and why all of this matters anyway. So let's get into it. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the MD, the PhD, and the ultimate Frisbee champion, Carla Fowler. So I love this this concept that you have, which is relive your year practice with your husband, where you kind of like recap some of your favorite moments. I would love to know, I'm assuming you did it for 2022, or Mm -hmm. we can do it for a previous year. But what was Mm -hmm. a moment from 2022 that you and him still had a lot of emotions built up around either happy, angry, surprise, something that you recall that you're like, wow, there's still a little bit to like talk about there. Oh, man. That's a great question. So one of the things that happens when we do this dinner is I literally go back through my calendar and, and the kinds of things that come up are like, they're, they're good times with friends or I'm like, they're also work accomplishments, like things that were, that felt important about that. One, one of the things that we think a lot about is like managing energy. And so I remember we started the year with COVID so we we got COVID right around Christmas and so quarantined Ugh. up. We were up at Revelstoke in Canada. Okay. And so the goal had been to be skiing, but of course we both had COVID. And the the thing that actually I remember, and it was emo- so emotional that I just like wrote a story about it was like more or less driving through a blizzard because we had just gotten kicked out of the ski lodge because we 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 realized like we're like woke up with a fever and we're like, oh. We got to tell them, we got to quarantine, we got to get out of here. But we couldn't get out of there until like 5 p.m. And like snow was rolling in, like, and it's this like windy road and it's two lanes and you have to get to the ferry and the ferry only has a certain number of ferry trips to get you back to Revelstoke, which is where we had found a place to quarantine. My husband was feeling the worst, but I am a terrible, like slow driver in the snow. And so he was finally like, I am driving. He's like, we're not going to make the ferry. And then we're going to be in the car all night. 
with a blizzard coming Yikes. in. And it was so intense and he was driving and like we made, I think, the last ferry and we got on the ferry and it's this tiny open air platform and the snow is coming down all around and it looks like a snow globe in outer space because the lights on this ferry are like highlighting the snow coming down and the whole thing is like gently rocking back and forth and you can't see any of the banks. You're just in the middle of the dark in this like lake. And my husband by this point in time had like landed in the passenger seat and and it was so beautiful and we were so exhausted and and just like scared because again it was still sort of early days. I think we'd gotten vaccinated, but it was it was still like we weren't at home and and I remember he was like, Why would I wish to be anywhere else right now? We are safe. We are on the ferry. This is like out of this world, sort of beautiful and unique, and we are together. And it was sort of a, a like a oddly emotional moment. I mean, I know COVID is old news now, but it just was this beautiful and emotional moment. And I ultimately like wrote up a small essay just to describe it because it's like one of those moments where you're like, I don't, I don't want to lose this. Anyways. Do you do that with a lot of different moments? Do you like keep a journal or some kind of like reflective process? I do have a reflective process. Like I write some stuff every morning. Sometimes though, it's definitely like I have a, almost like a creative project that I want to take on. And this was a moment, and, and maybe this is, you know, we've been married 10 years, let's see, this coming December. But it was just a moment where I was like, I want to capture this more formally. And some of the joy comes from the writing it and to try and express the beauty of the moment through the beauty of the language. And so mm-hmm. I don't do that all the time because it actually, it does take time and effort. But that actually for whatever reason, is the thing that sticks out to me is was that moment and just like getting to the ferry, being on the ferry. And that was sort of how we kicked off our year. Ironically, I think we actually caught COVID at the restaurant where we were having our end of the year 2022 dinner. Really? Yes. <laughs> so that's that, the grand irony. So is the process, typically you guys pick a place to to go out to eat and do you just pull open your calendar like on your phone or something and then just start like looking through each month and recapping these? Or do you have a, a different kind of process or ritual that surrounds this practice? So usually we do some prep ahead of time. And so I feel like we're coming across as total nerds and we sort of... <laughs> no, let's nerd out. This like, is something okay. I would do. So... I, I write it up in the sense of it's, I just make a list. So I do the prep ahead of time and kind of month by month, write up things that felt notable. Mm-hmm. And that might've been a business milestone or it might've been like, hey, remember that trip we took with my dad and like all the stuff we did. And, you know, it's also the stuff that goes wrong. You know, I think one year it was like, oh yeah, remember when, we like had our sauna trailer and we drove it all the way back from Montana to Seattle, arrived in Seattle and realized that like pieces were falling off it. Oh no. <laughs> you know, like things like this that are just kind of the stuff of life. And um, so we come with those sheets and then usually we'll figure out what we're going to order and maybe we try and like course stuff out and share a bunch of stuff. So we have like four courses and then we can go quarter by quarter. And it usually ends up being like, three hours long. and That's um, fun. So you when, often want to let the restaurant know, you're like, we're, we're going to sit here for a while. <laughs> and don't worry, we're fine. Like, we're very happy. When, when so. did that start? Was that in 
Like, did that start after marriage or before marriage for you guys? Oh, good question. This is like marriage trivia. <laughs> I I have this sense that it started before marriage, but post residency for me. So, like, I we got married in 2013. So I'm thinking it probably started that winter. We got married in December, so it probably started that winter. Might have started the winter before. Thanks for letting me nerd out about this. This is something I would absolutely love to do as well. I do this on a rolling mm-hmm. month basis too. At the end of the month, I have a task for myself where I just go look at my calendar for that month and just jot down awesome. all of my favorite moments. I liked how I you this. also put in some of the things that maybe were struggles or mm-hmm. like e- even like upset moments, things that anything that was really emotionally charged. I think that might be a good addition mm-hmm. to my practice as well. And then I'd like to incorporate that in my conversation with Gabby, my my partner, and yeah. us reflect and talk about that. But I do love at the end of the year to like look at that list and mm-hmm. just like smile from all the things. And it's very hard, especially, you know, busy type A productivity nerds and people that <laughs> have lots of different yeah. projects that are going on at one time to actually take a moment and reflect back and see everything that you did throughout the year, both from a personal and professional lens. And yeah, it's been really nice for me as well. And then I I dropped that into my journal. So then the first of the year at any, any time in my journal, and I can see like all of my favorite moments from that previous year, which is kind of a fun practice to do as well. That, that is awesome. One of the interesting things I like to bring up about the, even recording the stuff that was sort of charged or was a struggle is I find that you can create moments for yourself to sort of recode those in your brain. And so our brains are kind of continually like taking taking our memories. And a lot of this happens while we sleep, which is why mm-hmm. sleep's really important, but kind of re-sort of filing those, re like trying to make sense of it all. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the really powerful things about definitely revisiting the stuff you're proud of or the stuff that was like really wonderful or enjoyable. But also that other stuff, because sometimes when you revisit it, you realize like, oh, that was so bad at that moment. And also like we totally managed that and look where we are now. And it gives your brain a moment to then add those new layers of insight and nuance on top and repackage it away in your brain in a new way. And this is part of kind of like, I think, the stress and resiliency cycle of just, yeah, how, how do we get along? There are ups, there are downs in lives, and, and how does our brain manage those? So I think it's a great practice for that. And you get new pieces of information as well that might make what you thought of as a bad moment was actually maybe not a, a great moment, but there mm-hmm. was some good that came out of it. I remember I had a breakup that at the moment was like, oh, it was heart-wrenching. But then mm-hmm. I could see yeah. the easy path that led me to my next relationship. And I'm like, if that didn't happen at that time, then whenever I reconnected with this person at that time, I wouldn't have been in a place to ignite that relationship. And I wouldn't be in what I now consider the best relationship that I've ever had. So it does give me a moment to like kind of reprocess a little bit and redefine or make new meaning of what was an old event. Yeah, this is so interesting because I feel like it's totally leading into something that I think we're going to talk about today. But it's this idea of, can we relish uncertainty? And whenever we're trying to do new things or, or, or take something on that feels really challenging, 
often have this sense of uncertainty. And generally, as human beings, our brains were built to kind of not like that sense, like we mm -hmm. feel out of control. And usually we, we sometimes equate it with risk, like, ah, because it is uncertain, it means that there's a likelihood of like something bad happening. But ironically, when I look back, most of the things I'm most proud of or that are were really good things, ultimately, had some element of uncertainty. If I can kind of rewind the pathway leading up to those things happening or accomplishing them, there was absolutely uncertainty. And so I think it's this really interesting process when you can do that reflection because it helps us connect some of the dots and say, ah, in that moment of uncertainty, could I actually view it as, ah, this is a moment that's setting me up, like kind of like your breakup. Like this breakup is, is the first necessary thing for me to move on to this thing that's going to be really great. And I see that kind of stamping itself in life and business in a lot of different areas around uncertainty. I see this happening a lot now as a new business owner. We started a business yeah. less than a year ago. And mm -hmm. at first, that uncertainty is just overwhelming. Totally. But <laughs> I was about to say, I bet, I bet you know. I bet you know. <laughs> Even like the little things. But now you get to those, those same moments. So, so my brother and I were having this conversation today, actually, around like, hey, we are outgrowing our current project management system. And we really yeah. need to rethink this and kind of reorganize this. And in the past, when a moment like that or all this uncertainty would probably be overwhelming, now I realize this is really, as you mentioned, step one to what is going to be an incredible change for our business in some sense or another. And you definitely build that capability as a business owner, or maybe you have to build that capability as a business owner. I don't know that many business owners that aren't really comfortable with uncertainty Some from some degree of mm -hmm. or another, I think. You sort of do. And sometimes I talk about it like this idea of, can you build a new relationship for yourself with that uncertainty? Mm -hmm. Because you're going to encounter it again. And, and actually, the truth is, there's a good amount of uncertainty in life. Sometimes I think we, we can sort of shrink our worlds and try to make things feel more controllable. But I often find that comes from like narrowing of scope, narrowing of activities. And one of the big challenges about that is that that actually, well, we, it, it makes us feel good because we have a sense of control, but it also leads us to be sort of stagnant. And that is a real, real challenge. And so, I mean, one of the wonderful things about being a business owner is that on one hand, Yes, you have like the responsibilities on your shoulders. That uncertainty is going to be more prominent because you are taking on new things. You are growing. And so that puts that uncertainty sort of in a prominent position on a daily basis. But on the other hand, you actually have, you could almost say, some train tracks that are just like the train is leaving the station for growth. You are going to like every day, you're kind of like getting on that train and seeing where it takes you. And so that's this flip side of your position where you're at of you have a growth forcing function and there's something great about that. So let's segue into the topic at hand here. I, you pitched me on a really great thread that I've been excited to chat about because I'm starting to see it 
both in my own career at different parts and also in friends and family members that have chatted to me about their career. And that is this conversation about career stagnation. And I think we're talking less about the lack of promotion or pay. Like I'm not climbing the ranks fast enough or I'm not accelerating my salary fast enough, even though I'm sure you'd probably have a whole lot of thoughts around that as a performance coach, but more so how we feel about our work. And I often am starting to see the sense of boredom. And I felt complacent in my own career at many times. And it can kind of happen quite unconsciously, I think, mm-hmm. as well. It's, it doesn't just, you don't know all the time that you're headed that direction. Right. And as 20-somethings, we like explode onto the scene at our first jobs, yes. all excited. And it's like so much to learn that, we have no choice but to be engaged <laughs> in our work. Like we, we yes. like we legit, we can't or else we're just like quickly got to flop out. But ultimately we end up learning and developing some of these skills and we do less learning and variety. And honestly, some of the demands become more predictable, yep. which leads to this boredom and lack of engagement. And ultimately I think reduction in work performance because- we're spending less of our time at work learning, but really more so working. Like it, it does, yeah. it feels like more work than mm-hmm. anything. And this lack of engagement really like bothers me, but mm-hmm. I feel some people that I talk to are okay with fading and honestly becoming unnoticed. And I mm-hmm. totally get it. I think that could be valid and and there is some validity to it because I think work is consuming and can't be stressful and it's mm-hmm. not everyone's priority or even a priority in their life. Mm -hmm. But why do you feel that it's important to be energized about your career or the work that you're doing? Yeah. Justin, you brought up such a good point, which is that like work does fill different roles in people's lives. So just, just to fully acknowledge that. But one of the things that often is just true about work is we spend so much time doing it that my bias has always been where possible, it is good if your work is engaging because simply a lot of our life goes towards that. And again, of course, there are exceptions in situations where work provides a salary, but like the true passion and engagement is coming outside of work. And so again, that's a person who's engaged and finding a balance that works for them. But mm-hmm. when I look at it, we spend so much time doing work. And I think work can be a real sense, give us a real sense of joy and interest and energy. And sometimes it's set up that way for us. And often it's not, but that doesn't mean there isn't sort of something we can, we can do about that. But I think the other piece I like to talk about is just that part of taking care of our brains. Again, we think a lot about like physical health. We also talk a lot about mental health. And I think one element of it is helping our brains, whether it's encounter fresh ideas or encounter new challenges that give us the opportunity to overcome something and like feel that sense of self-efficacy about Mm. what we accomplished. And so in that way, I see finding pathways of continued growth or development and work can be one conduit for that is a piece of just caring for our cognitive, our emotional, and our mental health. 
as, as we go along. So that, for me, is a piece of it. I guess one last very practical piece is that I think the landscape is changing much more quickly than it was, let's say, in my parents' generation or, or beyond. And so I think we are more likely to have more jobs that require a broader range of what we know how to do. And then also just the rate at which, for example, technology and other things that need learning are coming at us is much faster. And so, again, some of this is like just about resilience and optionality over the course of one's career. So a very practical reason why kind of learning to create some kind of pathway for yourself for continual growth is important for that reason, too. Just the last reason alone gets me really fired up and energized. I am the last person that wants to become irrelevant in the workplace for sure. Mm -hmm. And critical thinking and problem solving are two skills that are never going to become irrelevant if you can just apply them to different situations. Yes. (laughs) So I think flexing those muscles on a pretty Mm -hmm. consistent basis is always a great idea. And I think that's what you're almost suggesting through some of the comments that you mentioned there, right? Absolutely. Yeah, maintaining that adaptability. And that adaptability, I think, is both sort of the cognitive flexibility, but also, I think, the belief that you can. And so what you when you just said, you were like, oh, yeah, that last reason is <laughs> reason enough. I mean, I think one of the, the feelings that can sneak up on people is a sense of like, oh, I see there are new people around me. They're coming, they're growing. Things are changing fast. And and the worst feeling is that feeling of insecurity of, is what I know now, and even if I'm really good at it, is that going to be enough? And I think that's a feeling we get when we're sort of standing still. And so one of the ways I like to think about it is, I'll ask myself this question of, what's my trajectory right now? What's the momentum I have? Not just For example, what's my current business performance or what is my current role or what is my current skill set? And it's okay to feel good about all of that stuff. But when I ask myself, you know, to think about the future, what I'm really interested in is what's my current momentum right now? What is changing or shifting and what's the speed with which that's happening? If I don't know the answer, that's okay. It's just then it becomes one of those questions that I say okay, that needs some thinking about if you don't feel like there's momentum in a direction. We're going to get into the how or what we should do about this, but are there any signs that you've recognized either in yourself or working with clients that they might be coming bored with their job or signs that they're progressing towards career stagnation? Mm -hmm. Such a great question because it's sort of sneaky. You know, often it isn't that people come in and they're like, I am stagnant <laughs> and I need help with that. <laughs> often it's it's more those gut feelings of like, so sometimes it can be a sense of insecurity, that sense of like, I feel like I'm treading water and it is possible everyone around me, even if this isn't true, we can get that sense of like, oh, everyone else is like swimming past me. So that's that's one sign. I think another sign is just, you know, that sense of like, I'm not excited to go to work or I'm dreading going to work. Sometimes there's like obvious dysfunctional things happening, which you can say, I'm dreading going to work because of that. But it's usually a little more like, no, there's nothing wrong. You know, like things are fine. Like I'm, I'm doing well. 
And so I should be excited about it, but I'm not excited about it. So Mm -hmm. I often find it's a little more like that. I I would agree. Definitely one of the biggest indicators for me in my career was when I just wasn't necessarily excited about the career growth opportunities at the company or Mm -hmm. that's in front of me. That was Mm -hmm. always an indicator because I remember the first, I don't know, five years of my career, I was always hungry for the next position, for the next responsibility, for the next project. And I was like, yes, yes, bring it on. Like every Mm -hmm. performance review, I'm guessing I was probably over anxious with my manager being like, yeah, (laughs) I'm going to be in the C-suite one of these days. And like, you know, I'm down to wait five to 10 years. That's fine Mm -hmm. with me. But like, how do I get there kind (laughs) of deal? And now I'm like, oh, holy cow, do I even want to take the next position in front of me. And I feel like that gut check sometimes is whenever Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, something needs to happen here, which kind of leads me to what I feel like should be the bulk of our conversation, which is what to do about it. And I know you mentioned, sometimes it could be corrected for you. And other times you have to do something about it. I think this is probably the majority of the time. Like if if you want to fade away, or if you're you know, are okay with your career being stagnant. I don't know if a lot of people will notice and or even care. Like maybe that seems like like wrong to say, but. It's not (laughs) malicious. It's just if you're doing well, and that's actually a really important point is that you can be having these feelings even when things are going well. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's the hardest because we'll tell ourselves to just like, you're fine. You're doing great. Don't mess everything. Don't rock the boat. And so we kind of like stuff that sneaking sense out of the way. And, and of course, if we're doing well and we're not a problem, like other people aren't going to intervene on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so a couple of thoughts. One, it helps to understand sort of why this happens and why we often have to sort of self-drive it. But I think many people come into this feeling and then they're like, there must be something wrong with me. Does everyone else just know this? That I need, you know, either how to do this or is everyone else, you know, somehow on a path where there's a lot of learning and I'm just not. But you pointed out that early in our careers, we come in and often the systems are set up for us to learn because they don't assume that we know everything we need to do to come into a lower level role or a more entry level role. But there's kind of this assumption that isn't really well-spoken, that as you sort of climb up the leadership chain, or even just when you're no longer new, that like, ah, you're good now. Either that you'll drive your own learning or just you've learned what we need you to know. So there's that piece of it. But I think the other thing is that we often sort of want to get to the place almost as though it's a destination of, Mm -hmm. I know the things I need to know, and now I can be comfortable. I've moved out of that period of uncertainty like early on where I'm learning a ton, but I'm also like, oh, I don't know anything. And I'm really excited to get to that point where I just know stuff and I know how to do what I need to do and I can just deliver on that and like, won't that be great? Yeah. And I bring these things up because part of what we're going to be battling as we try and get out of that stagnation is our own brain's desire to be comfortable to know the answer, to not be a beginner anymore, to sort of feel like we're embodying that leadership role where we just, we have the answers. And so I like to bring it up because inevitably there's a little discomfort with heading out on how do I bust out of stagnation or even like for the listeners who are like, oh, hey, I'm just starting out. (laughs) I'm not, 
I don't feel any stagnation. But for those listeners, how you can think about and sort of check in with yourself, have little check-ins to say, how do I sort of prevent somehow landing at that point in mid-career as a surprise? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. What are some of your thoughts there? Like, what are some tangible ways that you can spend Mm -hmm. your time? And I, I often see us moving towards stagnation because we're, we're bored at work, but at the same time, that might be because we have like too much idle time, but we're not necessarily interested in the taking on more of our current job responsibilities because they don't necessarily align with how we want to spend our time anyway. Are there some other buckets of things where you're like, hey, people, if you're feeling bored and Mm -hmm. you have some extra time, here are some actual things you can do? Yes. Yeah, I love this. And so, okay, there's a couple different places we could start, which is like always the case in my brain. Um, (laughs) So you brought up something really important, which is just doing more of the same thing is not going to solve it. And so Mm -hmm. this is where... Sometimes you're going to be doing this totally independently. Sometimes this is something that you might be doing at work. And so getting some buy-in or some support from whoever your manager is will be important. So I just want to acknowledge that up front. But Mm -hmm. let's just say like you have all the freedom to work on this. So I think the first important question is really this idea about what might be valuable or interesting to learn. Because the point, of course, is is to do something a little bit different, but ideally something that's additive or even like kind of multiplicative with the stuff that you already do know how to do. And so there's a couple different ways to go about this. I think there are some universal themes and I don't like to be prescriptive, but some of them are skills like, you know, confidence with public speaking and expressing your ideas, sales getting comfortable with selling something or knowing how to sell something is a total superpower, highly valuable. You know, working on written communications and being able to express ideas that way. Trying to think what else is on my list. Oh, like negotiation. Thinking about that. Sometimes there's a particular knowledge set that you know is related to some things you've already been building, but maybe it's adjacent So sometimes there's something great that would be valuable to learn there. That's one way to think about it. And sometimes those things are obvious. But another great way to ask this question is you can ask yourself, is there something I'm really interested in that if I were going to kind of design my career that I'd like to, maybe it's you want to do what you're doing now, but you want to do it in an industry that you're really passionate about. And you're trying to figure out how to make those leaps to that place. Right. So sometimes passion can be a good area to think about. Would that just make work more interesting if I was also thinking about where does that combine? The more direct way, if you're like, I just don't know, is to do some interviews or to look around and say, what are people doing like that they've been pretty successful with? Or like, who has a really interesting job at my company or Or even like sometimes talking to your boss or manager is a great place to say, I'm looking to kind of expand and broaden both the value I can bring and also the kind of work I can do. And I'm thinking about skill sets I might want to develop or grow into. Do you have ideas? So my point is you don't have to know the answer. 
Some things are just universally valuable, like knowing how to sell and having some comfort with that. But but there also might be particular opportunities that you could get some more information about by talking to people. So I think that's one of the first things is kind of thinking to yourself, what would feel worthwhile to grow at? Because I think you you don't have unlimited time. And one of the things I talk about a lot is this idea of brutal focus and that when we can be really focused about what do we want and what might be most important for getting there, it just lets us use our time in a much better way. And then we get better results and that just feels good. So Mm. it's not meant to be oversimplistic, but I think asking that question. And the second reason it's important to kind of focus what you might want to learn at is because ultimately we really want to make it visible. So not feel like you're learning all this stuff, but that you can't translate it into something that people care about or value that actually gets you a different opportunity or yeah, what I I'll pause there because this is a topic that I think is is really important. But yeah, what what did you mean by that? By visibility, assuming are you stating okay? Maybe I'm, I'm trying to learn sales. What, yes. How would that translate into the the visibility comment? It's a great question. And so when I think about how do we design sort of learning projects for ourselves, I like the word project because. It's almost like we want to both package that learning for ourselves and for other people. And and the reason I say that is because we can spend a lot of time learning. We have so many resources now. We have podcasts, we have books, we have blogs. You can interview people. I mean, you can interview someone halfway across the world now on video. So we have all these resources, which means we can learn a lot. But to actually be able to sort of have that learning be valuable in terms of what we can do with it. I think it helps to package it so we're motivated to do it and we actually feel a sense of accomplishment about what we did. So it's really clear in our minds what we learned, but also so we can package it for other people. So if you were going to go pitch your manager, for example, on, hey, I've developed this new skill set and I think we could really incorporate it into the work we're doing. You want to have it sort of packaged so that you can tell that story, so you can make that pitch. Or sometimes if it's, you're actually like, I'm going to go apply for some different jobs now that I've like developed this. The point is, there are a lot of ways we can learn now, but they're not necessarily translatable in a story that we can tell about it, where people are like, oh, you totally know that thing. And this is where podcasts are this amazing learning resource. And yet it's much harder to tell the story of, I listened to a bunch of podcasts on X. And so now I know a lot about marketing on social media. So that's where I think, thinking about how we package the learning, you can absolutely listen to a bunch of podcasts that can be a piece of it. But we want to think about how we now turn this into something that we can talk about that we can tell the story of, where people are like, that's really compelling. Honestly, sometimes you have to apply said knowledge too to really for it to like fully bake in and not only you yes. feel confident about it, but you actually like embody some of the skills. Mm-hmm. So this was on total accident. This was not something I was trying to do to elevate my career, but I took a career sabbatical and I mm-hmm. did the best thing 
one of my best decisions I've made over the last five years was to start a podcast. And it was totally because I was on this career sabbatical and I wanted, A, I wanted something to do while I was on this Mm -hmm. sabbatical. B, I got this really timely advice from somebody that said, hey, spend the first half of your sabbatical investing in a project you've always wanted to do, but you've never had time because of work. And then third is I wanted something to share with recruiters whenever I was going to enter the workforce again. This is how I spent my time off outside of just sipping pina coladas and hanging out on the beach. (laughs) It was that combination. But honestly, starting the podcast and then reentering the workforce was the best thing I did for my own job because it got me re-energized about work. I was like learning so much in this other project off the side here. Mm -hmm. And then I was actually starting to see it translate back in to my career as well. Like I've, I don't know how many meetings that I've ran now or Mm -hmm. talks, panels that I've moderated, different things like that in the work context. And I would have not been qualified to do that if it wasn't for interviewing over a hundred people on my own podcast. I love this story. And I remember when when we first met, you were telling me this story. Mm-hmm. And it is, you are like the perfect walking example <laughs> of what packaging a project looks like, both so it's exciting to you. And I remember you were, I think you said something about how you made a commitment where you were like, I'm going to do X number. I forget if it was 10 or like, it was like, I need to last beyond yep. some number. Yeah. So you made a commitment. And I'm just going to use your example as yeah, do it. To, to point out some elements of like how you package a good project. So you pick something you were kind of interested in. It actually had multiple elements that needed learning. Like you did some technology learning. I know you wrote and thought a lot about interviewing and you listened to your interviews and thought about that as a skill set. And then there's there's sales are involved in doing a podcast. You got to get people marketing to on your all podcast. The things. Like, yes. All the things. Yeah. <laughs> so it's sort of multimodal and you made a commitment. There was a clear deliverable. And so I think this can be an element of a great kind of project. Sometimes the deliverable is something like it could be, I'm going to start blogging about X topic because as I'm learning, that is a way I demonstrate my own knowledge mm. in a in a way that other people can see it. But I'll just point out also so you can see it, right? Mm-hmm. Like from that sabbatical time, you're not sort of looking back saying like, wow, that year kind of flew by. And I know I learned a lot, but there's, you know, you have this concrete manifestation Mm. of that. But another way you can think about that deliverable can be like test yourself moments. And a way to think about this is when you are maybe learning something outside of work, and then you're like, I'm going to find moments at work when I can apply this thing. So Mm. for example, in your case, you came back and you're like, great, I'm going to moderate some panels or I'm going to volunteer to lead some of the things that are happening. But I I often think about sort of this idea of a mastery loop whenever you're trying to learn something. And the parts of that that you can look at are, you know, what what's the knowledge of the craft? Is there just things I need to go read about or interview someone about or listen to a podcast about to just like learn some of the basic knowledge about that thing or that space? There's often like a practice element, which might be, you know, in the case of podcasting, it's a performance art. So you obviously, there was some practice involved and some of the podcasts probably weren't great. Some of them maybe you were like, oh, and that's part (laughs) of practice, (laughs) but you were intentionally working on, on the skill set. And, and then I think there's a piece where you sort of got to, as you're learning more and more, start to synthesize or 
own the knowledge. And I, I think about that often journaling, like what you know, like trying to distill it to say, wow, based of everything I've learned so far, of course, there are more details than I can count, but these seem to be the themes that keep coming up as most important or the just the most agreed upon, for example. So like owning that knowledge. And then the last piece I think is really test yourself moments. You know, sometimes that's if your project was to like take up running again, maybe that test yourself moment is there's like a half marathon or something kind of at the end of the time, your initial time doing it, where you're like, I'm going to train for that and I'm going to complete it. And you both now can talk about not just, well, I decided to involve myself more in running, but like, yep, I took up running again and I ran a half marathon in whatever X time. And I feel good about that. And other people can kind of understand what that experience was. And I think those test moments are really important. A, as just like milestones on the skill building or the the, the journey of that thing, because I, I know you've talked about performance discounting and that can be a real issue too of yes. like, oh yeah, I feel like I'm, I want to get better at podcasting. And then you never in the moment feel like you're a better podcaster. But once yes. again, I, I've listened to early episodes and I'm like, I am definitely a better podcaster. <laughs> and honestly, like every 10 episodes, I feel like I am like leveling up the game and podcasting. But at first I didn't feel that way. And some days I don't feel like I'm doing mm -hmm. better than what I was doing one year ago until you kind of get those milestone moments to really test out. Even like whenever I get invited on podcast about podcasting, and then I'm yeah. just like flowing information out about podcasting. I'm like, when did I learn all of these things? And it's like, oh, it was over the last three years. That's when I learned it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, and those milestones of learning, I'm glad you brought this up because again, one of the hardest things about kind of getting started on learning something is often dealing with, well, like getting started, the uncertainty, needing to feel like a beginner again, when actually there's a lot of things that you're like, oh, but it feels good to be really competent at the thing. <laughs> and when I think about that, there's there's a few different like tools that that I think are helpful. Again, not all of these may resonate, but I think the first one is to like right size how much learning you're doing. So in different examples, you had a sabbatical. And so in that case, you had a lot more time to devote to the learning. But for many people, this is a thing that's going to happen kind of simultaneous with work. And so one of the things I like to think about is to make sure you're balancing your load of uncertainty. <laughs> and I often think about like a triangle or a pyramid. And if you picture sort of the base of that pyramid, there's like maybe 20% of stuff where it's like, it's good to have that stuff you can do with your eyes closed. It just, it feels good. And honestly, sometimes you just have one of those weeks where you're like, I need to be able to basically do this stuff without even thinking about it because I'm busy working on something else. Then there's sort of this middle zone and I call the middle zone striving. And it's stuff that you do have competence with. But let's just say it has a little more uncertainty involved in it. So for example, it may be that as a business, you know, you have a business pipeline and like you sort of understand how it works, but you still have to really like put in the work to run it and like get people through, you know, closed deals. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I really got to focus on that, but I do know how it works. So it's not kind of totally new. So that's like maybe the middle, like 30 to 40%. 
And then I think that that top piece of the pyramid, and I find that most people probably have a happy spot that's closer to like 10 to 20%, not more than 30%. Some people, I mean, if you're doing a startup, often that growth zone is, you know, much 50%. larger. 50%. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot more. <laughs> but, but it's, I love thinking about like asking yourself at any given moment, and this is a great check-in you can kind of do along the way. Like even if things are going great at work and you're happy and you're engaged and there is some new stuff, you can just check in and be like, if I had to draw my pyramid right now, what parts of my work would I put in the can do it with my eyes closed? What parts would I put in that middle, like striving, like it's kind of invigorating, some uncertainty, but I kind of know what I'm doing, that piece. And then what would I put in that top piece of triangle, you know, and that's really that where am I pushing myself well outside comfort zone, doing something really new or learning a new skill. And sometimes if you feel like something's out of whack, it's worth drawing the triangle and trying to figure out if the challenge is actually that you have too much that you're just like, I can do this without even thinking, like I'm bored out of my mind. Or is it actually the top of the pyramid is way too heavy right now? I need to create more space in my life just to deal with the fact that what I've chosen to do is super uncertain. And that just takes more energy. So that's one tool I think about a lot as people are trying to like titrate, (laughs) like where their happy spot is. I think that's an important concept to think about. And also just the, you mentioned too, sometimes your project, that thing that's invigorating you doesn't necessarily have to be related to work. Mm-hmm. It could just be like yeah, something that is kind of filling your cup. But, you know, the podcast sometimes feels like that as well, even though I can definitely draw a whole lot of parallels to some of the professional and personal development skills that I'm learning on this side and yeah. how it also translates and supports me in my nine to five and mm-hmm. in business. But sometimes it's just the thing that is getting me really excited that wakes me up jumps me out of bed in the morning and, you know, little things like that. Plus like other random things, like I did a ultra marathon last year and it was like one of those projects, one of those things that I took on that wasn't necessarily related to any other specific work or business goal that I had. It was just something that I wanted to do. And I think you mentioned too, before the call too, it's you were in like, I just completed a wilderness medicine course or something. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was it was very challenging, and I, I'm just struck by the fact that you went and ran the ultra marathon. And <laughs> I've done one of those in my life, also, <laughs> and so I can appreciate it is you. You were also easy. the t- the ten year old that walked like 55 miles around the lake too. That is that is crazy because that's a lot of time on feet to get that accomplished under 24 hours. Oh my! Blew goodness. me away. <laughs> yes, it was so painful. The more painful part was our parents had to do it with us. Oh, they did. I thought oh, it was yeah. just all the kids that were doing well, it. There needed to be some parents who came and did it too. So, like you know, Fair. kudos to my parents that they were like, "All right, we'll go do this." <laughs> but one of the interesting things about these challenges, and sometimes, as you point out, they're outside of work. But I find that there can be like this halo effect. And and I can tell a personal story. Like when I when I left residency, so I made a big pivot out of medicine about ten years ago, and came to be starting my executive coaching practice. And as you know, when you start businesses, like you have zero clients, and so there's a lot of work spent trying to make something out of nothing. And I spent a lot of time working out, 
like that was sort of the time when I did a couple like trail like marathons and one ultra marathon and I briefly like trained for a triathlon and the reason I think it was helpful like if I psychoanalyze myself is that our brains like to feel a sense of self-efficacy and like belief in our ability to overcome challenge and I have this theory that we can build momentum in an area of our life and if we can overcome a challenge that it will actually the benefit of that will bleed into the other stuff we're doing that's hard mm-hmm. that we can say like hey Carla like you got some grit and you walked 55 miles around the lake you know <laughs> or like you you just finished this ultra marathon you can show up and do the business outreach that you need to do yes it's scary but is it really as hard as like that trail marathon you just finished no it's not just hit send on the emails mm-hmm. like you can mm-hmm. do it and i think there's this really awesome thing that happens. And so I think your point about it doesn't have to be at work and yet it still could give us benefit at work and outside of work is so powerful. And I often recommend to people look for where you feel some innate connection or you feel drawn to the thing and just build some momentum for yourself. If doing something work-related feels way out of your comfort zone, pick something challenging, but that's like more in whatever your sweet spot is and just start by building some momentum and then ask yourself later, okay, are you now really ready to take on that other challenge? How does it seem now? I, but, I didn't even give that a lot of thought actually. Now that I think about it, I finished my ultra, which just, I mean, the actual race itself is a feat in itself, but just totally. all of the training building yes. up to it. Like I, I have a little PTSD in a good way if I hop on this trail in Austin where I did a oh. lot of my ultra training, it's, <laughs> yes. I get flashbacks from just mm-hmm. that four month period of really, really specific and focused training. But I did realize now that I pretty much started a business right out of that ultra marathon. I maybe gave myself a That's couple of awesome. weeks and I feel like I probably just grabbed that momentum and mm-hmm. threw it right behind me to to kind of accelerate and get me excited about yeah. What was next? And for mm-hmm. me, that next big uncertainty was starting a business. And I'm, I'm not sure if we would have quite the the progression right now if I didn't actually do that ultra marathon kind of leading up to it. Okay, I love that story. This <laughs> That is so great. Well, it has been true for me. So it's interesting to hear other people talk about this as a, as a phenomenon. And I that is what? awesome. What, what was your ultra? So you ran that about 10 years ago, you said? Oh, when did I, I guess it was a little more recently than that. It was probably maybe seven years ago, but it was, I ran, it was in Georgia. So I flew to the okay. race because I, I basically I think my husband went out of town and I was like, I have, I can go do, like I have freedom to do, he didn't want to do it. So <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I have independence to go do this crazy thing I want to go do. So I flew there. It was in like, I think it's like the Blue Ridge Mountains or something, really beautiful area in fall. And it was cool. It was called the tortoise and the hare. And so they let people start at different times based on how long you thought it was going to take you so that everyone could finish more or less together. And then they could have a big party. And I, I thought, love that. Yeah. <laughs> so same course, but just some people started at like 7 a.m. and some people started at 10 a.m. And so we we started. The first thing that happened was my like hydration tube froze because it actually was like below freezing. <laughs> and so... But it was this beautiful, sunny fall day and I just ran my pace and, you know, and you sort of pass the people who sometimes like left in the group before you. And then like 
Eventually, I was like running along and this guy who was a famous ultramarathoner like pulls up in a Jeep. He was like this race sponsor or whatever. And he's like, looks like you're in front. And I was like, what? Because everyone was leaving at different times. And he's like, no, you're the first person now. And so anyways, this will be the only time I cross the finish line first in my life. (laughs) (laughs) So because I had passed everyone in the groups who left before me. There were obviously people in groups who left later who ran faster than me, but just had not yet caught up to me. And so uh-huh. I got to cross the finish line first. That's so cool. I know. It was <laughs> sort of cool. <laughs> I, I, I like the staggered start too, because the most disappointing thing with the ultra is just yes. finishing it. Yes. And then you realize like there's no crowd there to celebrate with you. My my buddy actually finished about 10 minutes earlier than I did, who I ran the majority of the race with, but I was banged up the last five miles and he was really going for a specific time. And I Got was it. like, all right, man, go You're for like, it. I'm okay. And then I actually, I caught a wind like three mm-hmm. to four miles out and we probably ran relatively the same pace at the very end there, but I took a pretty hefty stop being like, these last five miles are going to be a drag. I'm probably going to have to limp through on this. But oh my gosh, I, good so for he you. Was ex- he was expecting me to show up about 15 minutes later, just knowing mm-hmm. what pace I was at and and where I was going. So I didn't even get to like, there was nobody there at the finish line. <laughs> the guy, and, and it, it, it's five laps too. So like some people oh, are wow. still running okay. and like finishing their lap, but not finishing the race. Mm-hmm. So even the race coordinator at the time just like walked over to me and is like, hey man, are you done? I was like, yeah. He's like, all right, here's your medal. <laughs> you were like, and that, that was, was anticlimactic. That was it. That was it. After 12 hours of running, I was like, holy cow, what the heck? <laughs> what? Wow. Oh, man. But it, but it was kind of fun. I, I definitely would have liked to like lead into a whole crowd and everybody knows you're actually finishing and there's some excitement. But at that time too, you just don't really care either. You're like, I know I just did that. And like, I could look at my watch. And I'm like, oh, wow. That was 110,000 steps that I just did today. That's amazing. Insane. Yes. <laughs> are you, are you going to do a, another one at any point in time? I, I think I probably will. I, you know, I like to do a lot of different sports. And so inevitably I'm rehabbing one sport while I'm playing another. But I, I, I would. <laughs> yes. What's your I, ultimate Frisbee thing? Like you were really big into ultimates, yes. weren't you? Yes. I did that <laughs> for most of my, this is a great example. This is another example of this. Can you build momentum in in a different area while you're doing something hard that just like gives you buoyancy? So I played a lot of Ultimate Frisbee for most of my 20s, which was simultaneously when I was doing my MD-PhD program. So I played for a women's club team and then later a co-ed club team in Seattle. And we went to the national championships every year. Notably, we went to finals every year that I played Club Ultimate I was on a team that went to the finals. And so I have a crazy number of medals. I was a good player, but I was sort of team player. I was not the superstar on the team, but I just had this knack for getting on teams and like that we're going to go to the finals. (laughs) Like we're that good. (laughs) So I have this sort of funny track record of being like one of the most decorated like female ultimate Frisbee players. And I I was quite a good player, but I, I was definitely not the superstar. But the the crowning moment was getting to go to Brazil to play in the world championship of beach ultimate. And what? So it's five on five instead of seven on seven. And the sand is really hot. So you like wear socks. And it's very different because it's hard to start and stop quickly in sand. Mm -hmm. And so it's a little bit more of a choppy, like jukey kind of game in in the sense of like you got to like kind of fake your way around. But it's really fun. And so, and so we won the world championship and, 
that was a like childhood dream. So do you still play? I don't actually. At all? Like you haven't played in like years? No, no. Moved on to other things. (laughs) I love that about life. How like something can be so monumental for a period of your life and then like not even fades away. You just let it go and like pick something else up, which is totally fine. Like like soccer was my life for like 20 years. And Mm -hmm. now I play pickup here and there, but my... 19-year-old self could not imagine me not touching a soccer ball every single day. Like, it's insane to me that I probably have only played pickup two or three times this year. Yeah. Well, and I think you you just brought up a really good reason of this, how do we keep growing and exposing ourselves to new things is important. Because even though there was a moment when I think I probably thought like, I'm going to play Ultimate Frisbee forever. There also came a moment when I was like, okay, time to graduate. I was like, I need to finish these degrees. And I'm ready for some freedom to try something new and different. And that Mm. that will be the thing that kind of brings on the next chapters and makes space for what is new to come. And we have to make Mm. that space. And and with that comes uncertainty because we often make the space when we don't know what's coming next yet. Yeah. But Well, Carla, I see we're like running up right on time right now. Do you have an additional 10 minutes that I can steal as we close this conversation? Totally. Yep. (laughs) So let's wrap up with just one performance principle. You've talked about brutal focus. We've talked about uncertainty a lot. I also like this concept that I heard you talk about, which is looking for a double. And that could even probably bleed into like what we were just talking about if I want to try to actually transition that topic and not just say, we were totally bullshitting there for the last five minutes, but <laughs> but like this concept of essentially an activity or something that you're doing, it can accomplish two things. I mm-hmm. think that I have this right. So like, for yeah. example, Ultimate for you was probably like an outlet for totally. social for you, but also probably an outlet for physical fitness because I've seen Ultimate Frisbee mm-hmm. and you guys run a whole lot whenever you play. <laughs> so do I have that concept right? And, and maybe can you extrapolate that and apply it to something else that, that might be relevant? Yes. Yeah, totally. So let's think about this. The idea of a double came from originally this idea that we need to be sort of brutally focused with our life, particularly if we want to have a potent life. And mm-hmm. I, I've always, I think that has been my goal because I think I've recognized there's way more stuff I want to do or be involved in or dreams I have than I can probably fit manageably into a normal lifetime. Yeah. And so, but I love it when things get me a double. So for example, the Frisbee example was a good one, like fitness, social. And it also, I think, was really helpful when I applied for residency. So I was applying for general surgery residencies. And so when you put down a resume and they're like, wait, so you did, you know, all the scholastic stuff and you played sports at the same time, they make sort of an assumption around like, oh, you have capacity. You have sort of some extra, an extra gear, you know, that mm-hmm. you can that you can bring. You're a team player and we need team players, you know, in, in surgery in particular. But it's this idea of like kind of looking around and asking yourself like, well, what are all the ways that I could think about what this project or this thing might be doing for me. So another great example, you brought this up and then I didn't talk about it, but I did this wilderness medicine training last week. And what it is, is it's this basically a wilderness first responder is kind of a certification you can get. And it's just sort of a a level of training of how to deal with both minor, but also catastrophic 
injury or illness that occurs in austere environments. So places where help is not close. And I know helicopters can go a lot of places, but even helicopters, you know, weather, you can't get them into places very quickly sometimes. And so we have this whole range of places, both in like combat or in the military, but also, you know, people who are doing wilderness, anything like climbing, backpacking. And so I go to this training program and the one I go to is for medical professionals and it serves a couple different purposes for me. So it's it's five days. So it is a, a pretty big commitment of time that I'm just not working. But I go and it's the only time that I really hang out with a whole group of medical professionals ever since I pivoted out of medicine 10 years ago. So it is both a moment of like, I feel always a little uncertain when I go into it because I don't practice medicine every day. And it's kind of old knowledge for me. And I didn't even finish my residency. So I don't even know everything there might have been to know. So it definitely gets me out of my comfort zone because I have to do something that I don't practice on a regular basis. And I'm a total beginner at, it feels like. But it's also this amazing group that basically comes together and you do a little lecture, but then they basically are constantly breaking up the group and saying, a third of you go outside and here's your scenario. You're being actors as you're being patients. Here's your injury. Here's what happened leading up to the injury. Here's your vital signs and all of this. So you get to go play actor and like be injured. That's fun. And then the other groups are like, hey, you found this person on the trail. Here's what you know about where you are. Go take care of them. Like, go find out what's going on and treat them appropriately. So you're constantly acting out these, like, scenarios where you have to think on your feet. You don't have all the stuff that's in the hospital. And that's sort of a description of the class. And they even do, like, a big nighttime scenario where you're out in the night and you don't know what you're going to kind of encounter along the trail. But the double for me is that I like to spend a lot of time outdoors and I figured out that, you know, I go hiking and backpacking for days on end with my, you know, 74-year-old father and his friend, who I think is 75. (laughs) And (laughs) like, I am the only doctor around. And so it keeps us safe in the sense of sometimes it, it may be that I'm the only person there to provide medical care. And so it makes me feel like more safe and secure. But This class also gets me the 45 hours of continuing medical education credits that I need to maintain my medical license. So yeah, I get that as well. And I guess the last thing is, it is almost a little bit of like a, it is a really good experience for me as someone who is an MD, doesn't practice as one, but does have some identity still as like wanting to be able to care for people in an emergency, like to be able to be a citizen who can do that, given that I have the training, there's a piece of revisiting that piece of my identity and keeping it alive, even if it's not the thing I do on a day-to-day. That's an example of something I spend five days doing it about once every two years, but all the different things that it kind of accomplishes for me. And I'm telling you, it's one of the most potent five-day periods of things I get out of it like that are valuable to me that I think I can come up with. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's that's sort of what I mean by a double. And I think your podcasting experience, just to use this, and what you're continuing to do, I'm speculating here, but I could imagine that it is raising your visibility. It is also like kind of has its own business associated with it that has credibility because 
of the podcast you're producing. It's giving you gains at work. Like people are seeing like other opportunities where you would be such a good fit and value add. And so I, you're, you've got like a quadruple there probably. But so that's oh, yeah. why I like to think about doubles is, and the double can be on different realms. It's enjoyable and it's practical and maybe it's valuable, right? So they don't all have to be in the same vein either. But yeah, that's my spiel on doubles. <laughs> Love them. <laughs> yeah. As a productivity nerd and somebody that honestly just overextends himself all the time, I am always looking for doubles. As soon as you gave me that language, I was like, oh, I love that. So then in my calendar, I booked out a bunch of time this week where I knew there was going to be opportunities for doubles. So I actually, this morning, we had an all-hands call at work and I just marked my calendar double and then workout. And Mm -hmm. I played that while I silently listened to a workout and did a workout in the background. I was like, awesome, now I'm feeling more productive and doubling up on some of these things. And yes, this podcast is like a quadruple times a a thousand too. And (laughs) you know, one of the best parts of all of this is just the amazing people that I get to meet and learn from you being one of them. So I really enjoyed our conversation today. It's been a whole lot of fun. You tangentially talked about it here and there. We didn't really even get a whole lot into it, but you have an executive coaching practice. Do you want to share a little bit about that and and where people can, can find you? Yeah. So my practice is called Thaxa Executive Coaching. And a great place if you want to learn more about that is at my website, which is thaxa.com, T-H-A-X-A. I love performance science and I use it in the practice to help people level up what they're doing and, and the goals that they're setting for themselves. And then if you just love performance science and want to follow along, LinkedIn is a great place to do that. So anything I'm writing about or speaking about goes up there. Carla, I have one final question for you. If you had the opportunity to teach a 16-week class to a group of graduating college seniors on a topic that isn't normally covered in the classroom, what would you teach and how would you teach it? Oh, I love this question. I more and more I'm I'm convinced that like learning how to take care of our bodies, like our bodies and our brains is super important and that actually a lot there's almost too much information and a lot of it's bad and that Also, our medical system isn't really set up to do prevention as well as it could be. You know, it's just resourcing is a problem there. But learning how to take care of our like our health and our bodies and what it feels like when they're operating really well would be what I'd want to teach. And I would probably make it a combo of sort of physical movement and or challenge, like interspersed with practical stuff like flossing. I don't know. <laughs> but, like, but no, like take care of your teeth. They take care of you. There's just, I think a lot of things that even just how to nourish yourself. And again, just there's a lot of that stuff that we can't really get from our doctors these days. Again, not because they aren't, they're just focusing on what is the biggest priority, which is often the the illness or the sickness. Mm-hmm. And so I think that would be really interesting. Yeah. I wish college courses looked more like that college course that you just presented there. I think that'd be so important and so critical. Actually, I had on Megan Biernett and Lee Carson probably about 20 episodes ago, and they they had a similar class that they awesome. wanted to present. They didn't mention flossing, but they just mentioned like how to cook 
a healthy meal for yourself. That's a like much better how, example than the flossing. <laughs> no, I like the flossing. I'm a, I'm a big flosser. Like, Every day, kind of, how to I, I floss. <laughs> like yes. how to have some good sleep hygiene to like kind yeah. of set yourself up for life and health. These and, fundamental things have so much to do with disease or or not disease progression leader. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we and we ended up getting into a conversation similar to this after they mentioned what class, and it was really just this concept of listening to your body and like being able to be attuned to your body as well, knowing that something might be off because oh, I don't feel as well. I'm not. I haven't been clear lately, or yeah. like oh, maybe having that drink too late last night really did impact what my morning really made me feel like. Different things like that, I think, pop up and. If we spent a little bit more time there, especially early on in our 20s, learning those skills and that awareness, I think it'd pay a whole lot of dividends down the road. Yeah, I <laughs> I agree. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Carla, this is such an enjoyable conversation. Once again, this is Carla Fowler, Thaxa, that is T-H-A-X-A dot com if you want to check her out. Carla, thank, thank you so, 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 so much. You've been such a great friend already. You were like one of the few people that initially pitched to come on the podcast. I'm like, yeah, yeah, follow up with me in a month. And I never, never hear from any of those people. And you followed up and you followed up with like a really relevant topic, which is so great. So I really appreciate it. I, I feel like we're probably going to be friends for quite some time. And yeah, oh, I just, that's so I like you a lot. Great. <laughs> Justin, thank you so much for having me. This I've been looking forward to this. Thanks for listening to the episode. As always, I appreciate your kind words. If you want to leave us a rating and review on your podcast player right now, that would absolutely make my day. If you want to find episode show notes, our blog, and other great resources, head over to tsirpodcast.com. If you have follow-up questions, an idea for a future episode, or just want to say hi, we have a contact form on our website and those messages go straight into my inbox and I promise you, I will reply. But all right, guys, I really appreciate you tuning in. I love you all and you're not alone. Let's keep making it through our struggles together.